Community Church, I love you. Community Church, I am so grateful for you, and I'm so proud of you. I want to thank you. I know that so many of you here have kind of bent over backwards to be here all five weeks of this series that we're actually concluding today. This has been a unique and formative series called Advance for us as a local church. Week number one, I asked you, would you make a commitment to making a commitment? And what we meant by that was, would you take what we're talking about seriously? Would you pray about it? Would you come to the Father and say, Lord, where's your heart in all this? And what's my role in all this? And how can I grow in generosity in and through all of these things? And it simply is asking the question that we need to always ask, God, how can we pour out our lives to you? How can we give all that you've, because you, look, you've been so generous to us, Lord. How can we advance the gospel? How can we um, make the name of Jesus Christ more famous? One more, one more, God. And how do we love you and how do we serve you best? That's a question, man, we should constantly be asking that over and over again in our lives. And I know that so many of you here, you've taken that very seriously and you've prayed about that and you've come to the Father about that. Thank you for attending all of the services that you've had. And this is our conclusion. So I'm just so proud of you and I love you and I want to say I'm really grateful. The question that uh, I want to close this series with is a, a, a singular question, and I would pose it to you right now, um, and it's simply this, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Have you ever rolled up your sleeves in ministry and found yourself going, oh, I don't know if I should have done this? Ever put yourself out there, maybe try to represent Christ in some way, and you're like, ah, that went a whole lot harder than I thought. I don't know that it was worth it. I ever made a sacrifice and said, would it have been easier to not do that? And as I look at this word right here, advance, and this next 24 months of ministry and all that has been sort of explained and communicated out, I promise you, it'd be easier to not do this. It'd be easier to say, let's not plant a church. Let's not launch a 12-step program. Let's not make these expansions. Uh, let's just leave it as it is, and we'll come next Sunday, and we'll have a great time. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it, would have been, it just would have been so much easier to simply not do that. We could relax a little bit more. But I want you to ask the question, is it worth it to get off the couch, to have, I think there's sometimes this, this firestorm of frustration inside of us to say, man, I, I want to do something about this to roll up your sleeves and to get in the game. So let's take that question out for a spin. I want to address one or two people in the Word of God, and I want to ask them that question. There's a fellow in the Old Testament by the name of Abraham. Hey, Abraham, is it worth it? Was it worth, because this is what God asked him to do, leave your whole life, everything that is familiar to you, everything that you know and is comfortable for you, leave it all, abandon it, spend your life wandering around like a stranger, all for a single child and an unfulfilled promise in your life. Is it worth it? Would you do that again, Abraham? There's another fellow in the Old Testament. Moses is his name. He was a prince. Was it worth it, Moses? You abandoned all of that. Influence and clout, money, pleasure, pretty much anything the guy wanted. For what? Oh, you get to carry a whining people on your back for 40 years through the desert. Mmm, sign me up for some of that. Was it worth it? Then you end up dying before you made it to the promised land. Mary, 
what would it be like to ask her? What's it like, Mary? Conceive a child out of wedlock in a culture and a time where that was simply unacceptable. To pour your heart into that child and to love that child, only to have that child grow up to say that the real members of his family are those who do his will. And then to helplessly watch as your child is pinned to a cross and you get to watch him die. Mary, was it worth it? Jeremiah is perhaps one of my favorite individuals in the Old Testament. His nickname, how's this for a nickname? He's called the Weeping Prophet. That's not good. Hey, Jeremiah, I want you to go and speak my words. All right, God, what do you want me to say? Well, actually, it's a hard message to a hard people, my people. I want you to tell them that they've got to cut this stuff out, and if they don't, judgment's coming. It's not going to be nice for them. Will you do that? Yes, I will, God. I'll go out. And so he does. No microphones, no pulpits, no buildings. He just goes out into the city, on the streets, in through the fields, into the homes, at the city gates, into the temple, and he begins to prophesy and speak the Word of God. And it's not a nice message. It's not what they want to hear. But he faithfully delivers the message of God. He does it month after month, year after year. Guess how many converts he has after a few years? Zero. Nobody's listening to him. He keeps going. And he, give, he gives this hard message over and over again. Eventually, get to the point where they're so sick and tired of Jeremiah. They're like, we've had enough of you, man of God. We've had enough of you, prophet of God. This is gloom and doom. You keep saying bad stuff's going to happen. We haven't changed. Nothing bad's happening. We're going to keep going fine. They get so sick and tired of him, they grab the guy. They assault him. They beat him within an inch of his life. They stick him in this mad huge, mud-filled cistern. This is a bad day. He crawls his way out of that. He goes back to God. He's like, God, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Hey, Jeremiah, yeah? Speak my words. No, I'm not doing this anymore. I've had enough of this. Don't you see what they just did to me? He's licking his wounds. I don't want to do this anymore. Hey, Jeremiah, yeah? Speak my words. Okay, God, I'll do it. And out he goes again for months and for years. And guess how many converts he has? After another decade or so, nobody. Nobody is listening to him. And they have had it with Jeremiah. They're sick of this guy. They grab him again. Gloom and doom, prophet. With all your bad news that's going to happen to us, and we're supposed to change and repent of our sins, nothing's happening. They grab him. Once again, they beat him within an inch of his of his life, and now this time they bring him to the city gates, and you know that stocks where they put your head in and they put your arms in? That's what they do to him, so that everybody coming in out of the city gates can look at the prophet of God, the man of God. They can spit in his face, and they can point at him, and they can mock him and laugh at him. This is a bad day. And he gets out of that, and he's like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't care what you say to me. Hey, Jeremiah, speak my words. No, I'm not doing it. He's licking his wounds. Nobody's listening to me anyway. I've been doing this for decades. It's not making a dent. Nobody, it's not doing anything. I'm useless. This is worthless. It's not doing anything. I'm in bits. I've fallen apart. I'm undone, God. I'm not doing any more of this. Hey, Jeremiah, speak my words. This is what he says. It's such a duplicitous piece for him. He says, I feel like when I speak your words, 
I've got this fire inside of me that's just churning and burning. I can't help it. And then he says, and when I don't speak your words, he says, I'm consumed by fire. That's a lose-lose situation. Hey, Jeremiah, speak my words. Okay. And so he goes back to work. And months and years until we get to 40 years and nobody has listened to him. And you'll never believe what happens. What he said would happen. And in comes Babylon. And judgment comes over the nation of Israel. And they take the entire nation captive. Now you would think, surely if anybody was to not get caught up in this judgment of God, surely it would be Jeremiah. No, Jeremiah gets caught up in all of it. And he's taken over to Babylon. There's an old song in the 1970s on the pop charts. They're literally quoting the book that he wrote. It says, by the rivers of Babylon I sat down and I wept. He wept. This is the weeping prophet. He's writing the book of Lamentations. To lament is to cry. The book of Lamentations is one great big fat cry. And there he is sitting on this river edge. No converts. No ministry. No church. No family. No money. No country. And this is what he pens in that moment. How can you, how can you write this? Your mercies to me are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How do you write that? How do you compose those words in that moment? Hey, Jeremiah, is it worth it? John, old man, supposed to be surrounded by his children and his grandchildren. Instead, He's rotten away in a Roman prison. He's chained to a hostile guard. He's stuck on an island. Hey, John, is it worth it? How about you, Paul? You abandoned your position as this unbelievable scholar of Old Testament law, of this Puritan in a culture where that was just ele elevated and, and that was deemed to be everything that you could be. You were that guy and you said no to all of that so that you could be what? Shipwrecked and whipped and beaten and imprisoned and betrayed and starved and martyred. Hey, Paul, was it worth it? And then there's our new friend. Hey, Nehemiah, is it worth it? All of the difficulties that you've gone through, and we're going to see some more today. We've been sharing some stories over the last few weeks of people who are part of this family of God. And I want to share one more with you today. Wally and I had the pleasure of working with uh, our friend for the last few years in ministry. And then in the last several months, um, she's been here helping and serving out in the church. Her husband and her five kiddos. Would you welcome Sharina as she tells us a little story here? Uh, good morning, church. I am um, from the island of Maui in Hawaii, and uh, Michigan is now home, but that's where I was born and raised. And my parents were pastors, and uh, everything that they made and they had, they gave to the church. And so we were poor growing up, and I remember I was 10 years old, and we were out at the mall, and I asked for a shirt. And my mom was like, we don't have enough money for that. Um, no, you can't have that. And in my spirit, I was like... I'm never going to work for a church and be poor. 
Like, I'm going to take care of myself, and I'm going to have stuff and be able to buy things. And at at a very young age, like, I had determined that in my heart. Um, When I graduated high school, I had multiple full-ride scholarships for college, went to Michigan State, and finished my undergrad in three years, ended up working with Duracell, um, Ford Motors, General Electric. And then in my early 20s, I ended up in California, I was working with Procter & Gamble. They gave me a company car. I bought my first home. Um, They were paying for my MBA in the evening time, and I was traveling all over the US. And my goal was I want to be able, at 40 years old, to retire and be financially independent and have freedom to do whatever I want. So that was my chasing up to that point. And I sat down with um, my financial planner, and he was like, you did it goal accomplished. Like you have the nest egg that you need so that when you're 40, um, you can do these things. And I walked out of his office and I was thinking, I should be celebrating. Like this, it's finally happened. But in my heart, there was just like an emptiness and a void. And I I wasn't prepared for what that was going to feel like. But at the same time, God was stirring in my heart just a passion for missions and what he was doing around the world. And I sat down with my pastor And I was like, hey, I I really feel like God's calling me to leave the company and just serve him overseas. And I've prepared for that. I've got a savings. Like, I can go do this without the church helping me. I just need your blessing, and I want to go. And he challenged me. He said, I think that what you need to do is raise up a team. I want you to ask people to partner with you and be a part of your team and sending you out and supporting you financially. And I thought, that is such a strange thing. Like, I don't need the financial support, so why do I have to ask people? Like, I don't want to do that. Forget the mission field. I'm not going to do this. And then God just, like, worked in my heart. And then God spoke very clearly. He said, I want you to give it all away. Give it all away. And when you ask people for help, I want you to be sincerely asking for their help because you need them. And I wrestled and threw fits and fought with God over it to the point where I was just like physically exhausted. And, and I said, fine, God, I'm going to surrender. I, d- I don't understand this. I'm going to give it to you. But in that time, like God grew my relationship with him so much. He showed me that I, I had security in my finances and my future in what I had. And he wanted my heart in all of that. Um, And I think not having that security allowed me to see that God is all that I need. Like, I didn't need the stuff. Like, God was more than enough for me. Um, Alan asked the question, was it, is it worth it? And um, I look back, and God has been so incredibly faithful. When I left the company, um, I was able to be a part of a buyout package where they were having early retirement. And I was in my 20s, and they, I retired with the company, they gave me my car, they gave me benefits, they paid me a severance package um, of salary when I left. When I got back from the mission field, my home more than doubled in value. So everything that I had given to God, he gave back to me. And it was so incredible. And then beyond that, God opened my heart because I was so independent and wanted to do everything on my own. And then God opened my heart to my husband. Um, Before that, I was like, no guys, no kids. I'm just doing it myself. And then my heart broke and God broke me and opened my heart to my husband who's now 19 years. We've been married and five children um, later. And it was definitely worth it. 
And the thing that I learned is that God doesn't care about the stuff. He doesn't need my stuff. He doesn't want my stuff. But what he wants is my heart. And that's the most important thing to him. And that when I'm surrendered to him, all that junk of turmoil and wrestling and fighting with God goes away. And there's this amazing peace and a blessing and a happiness that comes when I know I'm surrendered completely to him. And then that's all that matters. So verse I'd like to leave you with is Matthew 6.33. And it's seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sharina. I think Sharina and I probably share something in common. I, t I told my story a few weeks ago about, you know, my communion money and having my money and keeping my money. And I think that might be in both of us. And yet God says, I'm, I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm actually going to help you with that. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform your heart. And I'm so grateful that God is doing that in our lives. Nehemiah, was it worth it? Nehemiah, is it really worth it? And check this out for the last time. Of all of the challenges and battles that he's had, two weeks ago, we talked about this fellow called Sanballat. He hates Nehemiah, hates him, hates that Nehemiah's come to rebuild Jerusalem, put these gates up, build these walls, wants to stop it, wants to prevent it, has already tried some pretty seedy stuff to try to undo and manipulate the guy. He continues to do this in chapter 6. Verse 2, he says to him, come and let us meet together at Hacker Firam in the plain of Ono. When you see, oh no, in the Bible, it means, oh no, don't go there at all. And I'm not joking you, what that actually was, was a complete and utter trap. Get down from the wall. Stop working on it. Stop rebuilding it. I want you to meet me in the plain of Ono, in this other place. We could have a conversation, and I want you to do this. And this happens to every single one of us. Where you roll up your sleeves, and you're working, and you're building, and you're advancing the kingdom forward, and now all of a sudden, there's this agenda, don't do it. Stop. Don't push yourself. Don't exert yourself. Don't follow God. Don't advance the kingdom of God. Don't fulfill His purposes for your life. It's hard. And always, I think every time we move into ministry, there's, an, there's an, almost an immediate sense of ministry distraction. And that's what this was. The truth is, honestly, if Sam Ballard could get him into the plane of Ono, it wasn't a conversation. He was going to kill him. He was going to end him in that moment. Watch how much he antagonizes him. Verse 4, and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So they kept on sending these messengers, no, get down off the wall, come on, down, come on, get down, get down, get over and over again. He wants to meet you. Can you have a conversation with the guy? And it's relentless. How many of us, tell me if you know this experience, how many of us have like, oh, I succeeded in avoiding temptation? And an hour later, you're flat on your face. You're like, man, I didn't do so well there now, did I? How many of you have succeeded in life where you're like, man, I said no to the enemy. I knew exactly where he wanted to get me. And a day later, like, I said yes to the enemy. Like, what is that about me? Why do we do that? Well, there's this relentless push and nudge and nagging. He will never, ever get tired of beating you up. That's the context of the kingdom. That's the context of following Jesus Christ is that there's this enemy who wants to assault you and steal from you and eventually kill you. Listen to these words. We battle a determined enemy this afternoon. He wants nothing more than to cut the heart of God by sifting your life. He wants to prove that you are a phony. He wants to show God and the world that there's nothing to your profession of faith. He wants to destroy everything of value in your life. 
He wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your influence. He wants to take everything of value that you have, and He wants to leave you with nothing except a devastated shell of what you had. If He can get you to believe a false profession, He will. If He can get you to take your eyes off Jesus, He will. If He can drive a wedge between you and your family, He will. If He can drive a wedge between you and your church, He will. He will do everything that He can to cut to the heart of God and to ruin your life. He will use whatever tactic or force He deems necessary to get you to fail. He will never, ever stop trying to get you to give up and die. Happy you came to church today? That's the context of the kingdom of God, of rolling up your sleeves, of getting in the game. Verse 5, in the same way, Sam Ballas, this nasty character, for the fifth time, he sends a servant to me with an open letter in his hand. So he's got a new little tactic here. Now, notice it says that the letter was open. So we're talking about the days where there would have been a wax seal on the letter. Now, that wax seal was broken, so it was obvious that the letter had been opened. And here's what the letter was. Inside the letter, somebody had written some little words here that said, oh, you know what Nehemiah is really doing? He's planning a revolt. That's what he's doing. He wants to take over. He actually wants to be the new king of Israel. Actually, he hired a false prophet to say, this is what the Lord says, Nehemiah is going to be the king of Israel. That's what the contents of the letter was. And so, what Sanballat was saying was, look what I found. And it was open. Oh, I wonder who's read it. This has probably been passed around. I mean, this is terrible news. Rumors going around. Nehemiah, looks like you're in a bit of trouble here. Is this what you're doing? Why don't you come and talk to me? Well, how about you and I? I could counsel you. I'll, I, you could listen to what I have to say. I'm, I'm going to be a man who's going to be able to help you. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Here's what it is. Stop serving. Stop loving. Stop following. Stop giving and stop investing. Stop discipling. Stop being obedient. Come away from all of that and just, just for a second, just listen to what I have to say. What's the harm in a little conversation? Let's just have a chat. Come on, come on down from that wall. Come down, come down, come down. Come on. The sixth and final manipulation took it to another level. Sends in a messenger to Nehemiah because Nehemiah had ignored all of these attempts, all of these deceptions. Messenger comes, says, oh, I got bad news for you. Sambalat told me to tell you, somebody's going to kill you. Somebody has threatened your life. And so he's told me, this is what you're to do. Come down from the wall. I want you to run specifically to this room in the temple. And when you get into that room, you'll be safe. That's a message from Sambalat. He cares about you. Now, here's what's so really clever. It's so clever, this little lie. Nehemiah wasn't allowed into that room in the temple because he wasn't a Levite. So he knew that. So you've got Sam Ballot, who's not a Jewish man, somehow has done his research and actually found out that there was an exception to that rule. It's like this tiny little clause in the Old Testament. And the clause said, even if you're not a Levite, if your life is threatened, you can go to this room in the temple for safe sanctuary in a holy place. That's permitted under the law. And so it's super clever for Nehemiah to think, wow, this guy, he's studied 
God's Word and the law, and he knows about this pretty intricate little detail, and somebody's trying to kill me, and so that's going to keep me safe. It's a pretty clever line. Verse 13, for this purpose, he was hired. He's talking about the messenger. He was hired so that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. The messenger, he's an actor. He was paid for. He was bought and paid for. This whole thing is staged. It's now six attempts just in this chapter to manipulate and lie, all to stop him from doing what God had called him to do so that they could actually kill the guy. So what do you do? What do you do when you invest your life into a dream for ministry? And the enemy says, I'm going to come and I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you from serving His purposes, from serving Jesus and living for Jesus. The moment when you're tempted to ask the exact same question, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to do all this? Well, let me show you Nehemiah's answer to all of that junk. And his answer is emphatic. Verse 3, and I sent a messenger to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I like that. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Altogether, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I see your lies. I see your manipulation. I'm not having any of it. What I'm doing is a great project, and I refuse to step down from this. Hey, Jesus! If you really are the Son of the living God, come down from the cross and save yourself. I'm sorry, I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot come down. That's the weight of this answer. So let's take it a step deeper. Let's ask you the question, is it worth it? Is it worth to keep on serving when you feel tired or not appreciated or someone else gets the recognition, but not you? Is it worth it to always try to obey God, to always tell the truth, when a simple lie could get you out of so much trouble? Is it worth it to persevere day after day in a marriage that is painful, when everything inside of you is like, just walk out the door, just run away from this thing? Is it worth it to make the financial sacrifice of giving to God when you could just keep the money to buy things that you want or buy things that you need and you look around and it seems as though everyone else is making a fortune and keeping a fortune and spending a fortune? Is it worth it to share the gospel with a friend when you know full well it could mean that they reject you? Is it worth it to spend the sacrifice of time and effort and energy to come in here after a long hard week when you could be at home relaxing? Is it worth it to invest yourself into a dream for ministry when the Holy Spirit is nudging you to get off the couch and to get in the game? Have you ever asked the question, is it worth it? And here's what I believe. Here's the truth. I believe that one day you will stand before the one who made you, the one that you have served with your whole life. And on that day, you will look him in the eye. And on that day, you will know and it will not be something that is written down in a book somewhere. It will not be something that someone stands up to proclaim. On that day, every question that you've ever had, 
every doubt and every reservation will be blown clear away. And you will know that it was worth it for one reason. Not because it was fun or because you were noticed or recognized. Not because it necessarily led to great accomplishments for everyone else to see. You will know that it was worth it because at the center of human history stands a lamb who was slain and he is worth all of it. Do you remember Nehemiah in chapter 1? And he hears about the state of Jerusalem. And he's undone. He starts weeping and he's fasting. And then the challenge of getting everything that he needed from the king of Persia. And then he bumps into Sam Ballot with deceits and threats against his life. And then it was a famine and people who were impoverished and, and they were starving to death. And then it was manipulation and, and people borrowing money from their own countrymen at exorbitant interest rates and their children were being sold, sold into slavery. And you have to manage all these things. And then we get into this week where it's just deception after deception, trying to literally stop him doing from what he's doing and to actually kill the man. Nehemiah, is it worth it? Watch this. So the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the mouth, of the month Elul, in 52 days. Church, in 42 days, we launch a new church. Somebody give me an amen. In 52 days, they rebuilt this church. In 42 days, we're launching a new church. When all the enemies heard of it, the nations around were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Why? Nehemiah, you're amazing? No, 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 no. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. When I think about people leaving here, going into Alma, into Gresh County, with a gospel in their wings, when I think about a Jesus Christ-centered 12-step program where we see people who are caught up in the, the, the trappings and the chains of addiction actually being swept off their feet because of His grace and His freedom, I, the answer to the question is pretty simple for me. It's worth it. And I would say to you today, He is worthy of every act of obedience ever offered to Him. Yeah? He's worthy of every temptation that you've ever resisted. He's worthy of every song of worship that we could ever sing to Him. He's worthy of every tear of repentance that you have ever shed. He's worthy of every ounce of labor ever expended. He's worthy of every drop of blood that every martyr has ever shed for the last two years. He's just worthy. He's worthy of my life. He's worthy of the life of the church. This is our God, and He's worthy of it all. And I want to tell you why He is worthy of everything of every ounce of devotion that you could give to Him. Because Jesus Christ died. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because Jesus Christ is coming back again. And that makes Him worthy of it all. I want us to respond to the one who is worthy of our lives. And we're going to worship Him right now. In fact, I want to invite you. Would you stand together with me, please? And then in a few minutes, I'm going to come back and we're actually going to take up our pledges and our financial commitments for advance for the next 24 months of ministry. And that's going to be, I think, a very holy moment. So let's just pour out our hearts to Him now, and I'll come back in a few minutes with some instructions.